Welcome to Transit Unplugged, and I'm your host, Paul Comfort. Today, we continue our special series of Transit Unplugged in the United Kingdom. And today, we travel to London to interview Giles Fernley, who is the managing director for UK Bus for First Group, one of the largest public transit operators in Great Britain or the United Kingdom. They operate 20% of the buses throughout the nation of the United Kingdom. Outside of London, they have 6,000 buses in 45 towns and cities. And Giles is one of the smartest guys I've met in the transit business. He talks about the continuing loss of ridership on bus throughout the United Kingdom, but there are some cities such as Bristol where they've seen increases in ridership. As a matter of fact, over 40% this last year. He credits that to increased frequency and changing the bus networks, better connecting people to jobs and shopping and universities, and very similar to what they're doing here in North America to see increased ridership. He talks about making sure the buses are going to be replaced to meet the emission standards that will be required in the United Kingdom and working closely with cities to improve their bus network routes and busscaping in the cities. All that and more on this special edition of Transit Unplugged with Giles Fernley. What does it mean to be a successful public transit agency? What are you doing to lead the way? It's time to learn from the top transit professionals in North America. This is Transit Unplugged with your host, Paul Comfort. I'm Paul Comfort, your host of Transit Unplugged, and today I'm excited to continue our series in the United Kingdom with Giles Fernley, Managing Director of the UK Bus at First Group. And we're in Giles' offices at First Transit out on the beautiful waterfront here and in London. And thank you so much for hosting us here. We're right next to Paddington Station. Yeah, that's right, in the center of, center of London. Yeah, that's great. So, Giles, I'd like to start off today by maybe you telling us a little bit about First Group itself and the company. I know you're an international company. We're familiar with you in the United States mm-hmm. and North America because of First Transit and, you know, Brad Thomas and all those guys. But tell us about your role here in the company itself. Yeah, I mean, First Group is a very large mover of people both here in the UK and in the, and in the US and North America generally. Here in the UK, we have two operating divisions. I head the bus division, which runs just under 20% of all the buses operating in the United Kingdom outside of London. Our second division in the UK is Rail, UK Rail, where we run a number of franchises. On behalf of the UK government, we are, I believe, the the largest franchise operator currently in in the UK. And then in America, we're even bigger, where we have three divisions. You mentioned um, transit. We have the student division, which has 45, 46,000 yellow school buses, and then, of course, Greyhound, for which we are always famous. Right, yeah, and as we were talking about earlier, some of us came from Laidlaw, which mm-hmm. was very famous in North America, which of course got acquired by First Transit. And so, what's your role here? You're over the bus operations. Yeah, so tell uh, us they, about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, First Group runs these five divisions autonomously, and I'm managing director. I lead the bus division here in the UK. It runs just short of 6,000 buses. These are what we call in the UK full-size single-deck or double-deck buses, capacity of you know, 50 to, to, 90, to 90 passengers, running local bus services in 45 um, towns and cities across the UK, wow. England, Scotland, Wales, but as I did say earlier, not in London. Yes. We operate in the commercial market, which really appeals to us, that's right up our street, where the decisions we take are to own risk, whilst the business is regulated in terms of, of, of safety and, and um, operational performance. It is our decision what routes to run, where we, believe, where we believe passengers want to travel, where we believe we can carry sufficient passengers to make the 
good room to pay, mm-hmm. and we, we have flexibility, therefore, in designing that route network and in the way we serve our customers. And we're in the business each and every day of carrying more passengers, so we are um, very active in the way that we manage our networks to ensure that we're meeting and, indeed, anticipating customers' needs and encouraging people to travel. It's a very different model than what we're used to in North America. And I was talking to Dave Pearson, who's director of West Yorkshire Combined Authority in Leeds, about how it runs in London versus the rest of the country, where it's really up to your... So tell us, how do, you, how do you figure out where you're going to run buses? Because it's really deregulated. I mean, you get to decide, yeah, right? We, we, I mean, subject to the highway being appropriate yeah. for a bus and agreeing with the local authority stopping places and so forth, then yes, it is It is down to us, our judgment, where we run those buses, where we believe there will be people want to move, travel, connected communities, city centres with, with schools, colleges, hospitals, uh, recreational facilities and so forth. So that is our, our view. And in some of our cities, we run 24 hours a day and others, the, the market isn't as strong. We run perhaps 18 hours a day, but yes. wherever we run, and we run extensive extensive regular networks and that is the key to local bus services in the UK as it is anywhere in the world whatever the regulatory model it is running quality high frequency services because that draws people in it's what it it gives people great service at a value uh, that they cannot beat through you know a taxi or using a car yeah or or whatever so your question there um, how do we plan our routes well Buses have been around an awful long time here in the UK. They principally in the urban centres replaced trams back from about 1920 through to, to 1950. And, and bus networks initially um, followed where the tram routes were and then went a little bit further because buses obviously had the flexibility and, and went out into new suburbs and connected towns themselves, one town to another. But the core network um, in those days was based on, on where the trams were because the trams were laid where people needed to move from residential areas to factories and so forth. Then over the years, obviously, we, we need to adapt those networks to changing patterns, huge factory closures. My own city of, home city of Sheffield, I mean, when I was a youngster, there were probably 300 buses at, at shift change times, seven oh, right. factories in, in Sheffield. Right. Now, we have no special buses doing that. There were so few factories employing large numbers of people, and some coming cars, unfortunately, but, they, um, but the, the demand just isn't there. The whole business model has changed. So the networks are adaptable, they're very live beings, and we just have to give around about 10 weeks notice when we want to change our network. And then we register it with the traffic commissioner, having consulted with local authorities, and then we operate that route to the timetable that we have, have published. And if we want to vary that route to the timetable, again, we give 70 days notice. And we have people in each of our businesses and each of these cities who know these businesses yes. backwards, read what's going on in the in the local economy, in the community, understand where travel patterns are likely to emerge, let's say a new shopping development or a new school opening or an extension to a hospital. And and, and we look to, to meet that demand. But we can, because of our business model, we can react so quickly so that if we find um, the demands we hadn't foreseen, additional capacity is required, we can provide it so, so quickly. And that is one of the magics of this commercial model. We can be very responsive. And we have the direct relationship with the customer. We survive today, let alone tomorrow, by the number of passengers we carry. Therefore, it's in our interest to make sure we are maximising the opportunities for those passengers to, to carry economically for us. And we provide a service that makes people want to use us again because it's right for their lifestyle. Mm, that's good. So you look at... A lot of key performance indicators, I'm oh, sure, yes. passengers well, we have per a few hour of those. and all that. Yeah. yeah, we have we have a lot, and, and that brings me on to, to sort of the revolution that's happening 
I mean, here in, in first, no, no question in first group, but also across the business that we now are able to have access to technology and to data that only two, three years ago we dreamed of having. Is that right? Yeah. Like what kind? Well, I, this is both front of house and back of house. Mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of front of house, in terms of information, we now, you know, we, 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 we've now moved away from, rapidly moving away from the tradition of passengers paying cash on the bus for every journey and all that goes with that, all the difficulties, all the pressure on the driver and so forth around that piece to um, passengers either prepaying and using mobile phone for their tickets and scanning their mobile phone or paying by contactless. Can still pay by cash, will accept any means, any legal means for, for people to pay, pay their bus fare. But cash is now very much in the minority. People are favoured. If you go back some years, I think the perception of the bus industry in the UK, let alone us, is that it always liked the times a little bit. It was a little bit behind the times in terms of investment, in terms of the way it presented itself and the ways it was adopting technology. One of those issues we had in terms of the ticketing piece was we needed the technology be sufficiently robust to be on a moving platform on UK roads. I remember being involved in the first smart card experiments back in the early 1990s in London, where we equipped some vehicles under contract to what is now Transport for London with smart card readers, and smart card readers couldn't cope with the vibration of the vehicle. Oh, yeah. So we're not a, a Starbucks or whatever, there were, there were more complications, but that technology has now arrived for us. So we've revolutionised the way that people can transact with us. We've also revolutionised the way that we can communicate with our customers through apps, real-time information on where their bus is. Whilst they're on the bus, they can get an alert to tell them where they need to get off if they're unsure, um, unfamiliar with the area or whatever. We can give them journey planning information and we can we can, we can can sell the product to them. This is also new. I, until recently, we relied on paper timetables mm-hmm. and some people still like that, that's great. But we've now got ways of communicating with people in a, in a way that fits their lifestyle and we can then link that to them buying tickets, knowing in advance what the fare is going to be, having the confidence the bus is on its way because they can get an alert if they've you know, asked for that alert to confirm the bus is on time or it's running two minutes late or, or whatever. And we can communicate to passengers who are registered with us now and we know where they're travelling to say, big problem tonight on Route 2 in Leeds because there's been a, a road traffic accident which is causing congestion. The bus will be coming, but it's going to be late. We've got all that facility, which we just never, ever had before. And how do you push that out to passengers? Through Twitter, or what do you do? Yeah, I mean, all, all sorts of feeds. I mean, the app is our, is our prime okay. tool, and we have so a communicating yeah, through the app. But we have Twitter feeds and so forth. Of course we do. But, but the app is, is, okay. is, the, is the key tool. We have the website and so forth as well. But. What kind of market penetration do you have on the app in, in a lot of your cities here that people are using versus the number of riders? Well, the angel in the... The market share we have for bus use in our networks varies from perhaps 40% of, of the People bus are using miles the app, up yeah. to, no, no, the, the operation that we have up yes. to 8 or 9%. Of the passengers who are who are, being, who are using this technology, yes. we've now got in some of our locations 60 or 70% of our customers oh, who are using contact with a mobile and yes. and particularly the mobile having access to the app. So it is becoming very significant, but it's by no means universal yet, so we still have the old ways of communicating. Right. Um, but the refreshing thing is we're now able to talk to people in the way they would expect a modern-day business to communicate, um, which is you know, hugely effective um, and, and, and really transforming the pe- way people can use the bus, their attitude towards the bus, and we're taking away so many of the barriers that people will say they have in terms of using the bus if they're not a regular user. Right. You know, well, you know, will I know, can I be certain it's going to get me to the destination? Will I know where to get off? What fare do I need to pay? Will I be overcharged? Will I have to have the correct fare? 
will the driver know what I mean when I say I want to get off you know, on the high street? Yeah, the, all these questions which are barriers to non-user. Even where do I find the bus stop? Which bus stop do I catch? Right. Now, we can give them all the information in advance yeah. in a user-friendly way. And of course, that's with any business. Yeah. We're continuously upgrading and updating apps to, to ensure they are the state of, of, of the nation. And you say they're using the apps to pay as well? Yeah, they like can a, they can buy they can buy a, a mobile ticket. So, for instance, buy Carne, a set of day Carne tickets, five or ten tickets, significant discount. Then, when they're travelling on you know, first journey on a day, they yeah. they simply trigger one one ticket. It's read and that's valid until two a.m. the following morning, um, or later in some of our networks, depending on the, the night coverage. Um, and that way, they get great value for their for their travel. And we're looking and. You know, moving fast now on, on contactless, which at the moment is what we call model one technical, is purely a, a cash exchange. So you get on the bus without a mobile ticket, you want to go to town, first £2.50, you can have the way by cash, or you can be a contactless card down. We're now very shortly going to be trialling model two and then model three contactless, which is beginning to cap, to enable capping. Right. So yeah, people yeah. will always get the best value in the day or the week, very much like London, mm-hmm. and then multi-operator. And because multi-operator ticketing is very important in yes. most of our areas, we, we, we are part of multi-operator schemes, they're very much on smart card, they will move in time to the other channels as well, and we need to give, give that facility, and we want to be able to give that facility on contactless as, as we do on, on any other payment form. And you said you, you operate in 45 towns and cities. Can the app, so if, if I'm in one city, if I'm in Leeds and then I go to another city where you operate, could I use that same app or do you have different apps for each city? No, no, you can use that same app and just oh, link into great. the and city. So, so it's great. really inner city ability. Yeah, yeah, yes. That's it, great. It all up, and we also, because we believe it, we want to help people travel. It's what we're about, one of our, our strong values as a group give information on other services as well. We're not just exclusive to us. Because actually, we're not, you know, if we're not going to that part of the city, if one of our users doesn't go there, if somebody wants to travel by bus, we want to help them. It may well be they travel by one of our buses to connect with this. It, we, we want to make it as easy as possible to think about people, think about using buses for their local transport needs. How does First handle in these 45 cities you're at, uh, people with disabilities? Do they just ride the fixed routes or do you have special no, demand response uh, for UK, it is a, a legal requirement, absolutely right, that all buses operating what we call local bus services, which was I'm describing, is, is our business, are wheelchair uh, equipment. Yeah, they, yeah, I mean, we're disabled, yeah. friendly in terms of, of um, flat entrance to the curb. Right, right. Um, you know, the bus will, will will drop its suspension, ramps can come out, um, there's space for wheelchair on the vehicle, but it's more than just that. The, the stanchion poles are are strongly coloured, um, a number of supporting points for, for people to hold on to as the yes. because it's not just those in wheelchairs, it's any disability. We train our drivers extensively in disability awareness, whether it's with blind people, deaf people, mm-hmm. with Alzheimer's, disabled people. We often get groups of, of such people in into interactive sessions with, with drivers and they do swaps and, and so forth. Do you get any subsidy from the local government to, to no. transport them? No, no, ah. no. Um, well, no, we get no subsidy. We absolutely get no subsidy. Here in the UK, disabled people, uh, registered disabled, qualify for a free bus pass. Right. That's what I was wondering. So We are reimbursed for that based on a calculation derived from the fare that that passenger would have okay. paid. Okay, makes sense. But yeah. it's not subsidy, it's just fair reimbursement. I understand, yeah. That's why I came back strongly. That, that's, that's, yeah. but, but, um, Make sure you differentiate yeah, yeah, yeah. that, yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we get paid. So all buses are equipped and our, our driver support, and we absolutely support carrying to be a very important part of our customer base. Now, there are 
other facilities for disabled travel, all local authorities, either directly or through contractors, will have bespoke transport for those who cannot find their way either unaided or with um, a carer to a bus stop and, and travel by bus for whatever reason. So there are community transport and other type services out there, but that's not our marketplace. We are in the business of, of carrying large numbers of people on key corridors. So there's nowhere that I'm aware of in North America where buses are 100 percent you know, unsubsidized, you know, there's, there's some routes in Las Vegas that return 100% on the fare box down the main strip, but most of them have significant public subsidies. So I'm interested a little bit more to dig into that a little bit. You can set your fares, right, in these cities. Yeah. Like, what's an average fare to ride a bus? Yeah, you know? yeah, I mean, we're totally free to, to set our fares. Right. Um, you know, we take a judgment to the marketplace. It's got to represent value for money and, 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 and attract people to us. We very much promote the day or the, the weekly or indeed oh, yeah. ticket where you get best value. But I mean, to try to answer your question, a, a day ticket and will vary depending on the town, depending on the cost of operation. I will come back to that point in a moment. Okay. Um, what I mean by that, it'll depend on um, the density of population and, and the ridership that we see. It will depend on the scale of the size of the area that the ticket will, will cover. Right. But a day ticket may be as cheap as just over three pounds. It okay. may be towards five pounds, depending on that To ride all day? Yeah. Um, to ride all day. That's yeah. not bad. Yeah. 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 You, um, you know, most people using it get great value. I mean, two, the idea is two average journeys equals the day ticket. Yes. Anything above that is yes. a bonus. If you're living in the insurance of the boundary and you buy that, it'll be cheaper than two day, yeah. two simple tickets. That's how it, the, the calculation broadly works. And then if you buy a weekly ticket, it'll be perhaps you know, four times the day rate. Okay. And a monthly ticket will be three and a bit times the weekly yes. rate. So the discounts are, are really huge. You can still buy a single fare. Okay. And that really does depend on the length you're traveling. We have right. a tapered scale. Um, you know, so, you know, if like you're doing, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it could yeah. be if you're doing six, seven miles, it could be five pounds. Right. If you're just doing a short hop, three stops in certain cities, it may be one pound, one pound 20. So, so it, it's variable. You're able to make a profit charging three to five pounds for all day pass. In Baltimore, where I was CEO, we charged $4.10 uh, and we required heavy subsidy. We only brought in, I don't know, 20% on the fare box. Wow. So you're doing something right. <laughs> no, we, 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 uh, we watch our costs, that's for yeah. sure. And we, we try and, you know, I, talking to other bus coops, you'd, you'd hear the same. We try to, to be very efficient and lean. We work our buses hard, we're very productive. Well, I was going to ask you about business. that. So in, in most of these cities, you're bringing the bus in, right? Mm-hmm. The city isn't providing the no, bus, no, we, so you've we, got to work we, that into the capital. Almost every bus we operate, we own. Yeah, that's really uh, something. There are just a few bespoke contracts that we might operate, um, and there are very few of these, perhaps a park and ride contract for local authority, where the local authority provides the vehicles. We have one in Truro in Cornwall, example there. But 98% of the vehicles we own, we sorry, we operate, we own. Yes. How is ridership overall on buses in, in the United Kingdom. You well, operate it, in a lot of the cities. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's been in, you know, there's been a, a decline curve for an awful long time, really, traced back to the late 1950s when car ownership exploded. Yeah. People's televisions arrived and people were no longer going to the cinema four times a week and out of town and so forth like that. That was when things really began to change. And let's continue then, of course, you get, I mentioned in answer to one of your earlier questions about, you know, um, how when I was a youngster, you know, people taking workers to, to factories, a huge part of the business, it is now. You know, the retail piece, take people to the high street, we do take a lot of people to work still, but it's no longer the proportion of the business it is. Young people, recreation, college, students, hospitals, these now um, all provide our, you know, our, our, our business 
make our business jigsaw. Um, and right now we're seeing you know, direct correlation to the high streets here in the UK with online retailing things and, and general uncertainty in the economy with less people going to the high streets. So that has a direct correlation to the numbers of people we, we carry and we can normally, when we look at each network, match our numbers to city centres at off-peak times to what the retailers are saying about footfall going to their shops. There's a very, very close correlation. So the industry trend right now outside London and London is losing passengers, is around about a 2% loss of passengers each year. We are bucking that trend, and we have done now for some years, by around about 2%. So, you know, in bus terms, that's actually exciting, and some years we've had a small increase. But I can then point to a number of areas within our business, and Bristol is one. We, we're a significant operator in the Bristol area, where we've got about 90% of the bus, bus mileage. And there we have grown patronage in five years by 46%. Wow. I've been in this industry. 47 years, and uh, yeah, to me this this is... So you started yeah. when you were five? Oh, thank you, so much, <laughs> six actually. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I have never known um, That's this amazing. phenomenon. What would you the, say is the cause it, of that? It's a very active, economically active city. Okay. It has political policies from there, Bristol, that are, are pro-bus. We've invested hugely in our business sector, we've seen the potential, because looking at a potential, a measurement we use is, is rides per head of the population per year, and it was very low compared to some other cities, has great potential. If the product was right, so we've invested in the product of increased frequencies, we've actually reduced fares, and we've really pushed the digital piece. And we've done a lot of other things. We've changed our networks. We've really, there are a number of growth areas there. We've really um, pumped those to, to give connections across the whole of Bristol. For instance, the massive Cribs Causeway shopping development is on the outskirts of Bristol. A number of pieces there that have come together. Very strong university populations mm-hmm. in Bristol as well, which is a great feed for us. And we market ourselves to those and provide 24-7 services, very, very high frequency services. What headways would you have there? Well, we, I mean, we could have, like, in some cases, we could be running at, at peak times 20, 30 buses to a university in an hour. Really? Double-day buses. So every five but minutes? Yeah, I mean, the demand is, is there. So um, so that, that is all there. But against all that, so I continue the Bristol piece for a minute. Yeah. What Bristol does suffer from is chronic congestion. Mm-hmm. And yet we're achieving this growth despite having our buses getting slower and slower. And right now, Bristol is having real difficulty because there's some huge roadworks going on, which are causing gridlock on very many days of the week, times of the day, um, and our buses get snarled up. So you know, we're running far more buses in Bristol than we should have to do, simply because we need to pump more into the system. But we've done that because the business is so strong. Yeah. Um, and I said we're going to come back to the cost of operation, which is a clearly a factor on how much we charge the passenger. And the biggest determinant of that is the speed of the bus. Mm. Now, I'm not talking here, we want our drivers to speed. What I'm saying is I know you know, how mean. quickly yes. the average running time is. So we have central some cities, business district or whatever. Well, yeah, that we're end to end or whatever. I mean, we yeah. have some networks where it is down to about seven miles an hour. So if you think, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty dire. It is. Um, as an average. It depends, the network depends on the duration, but the trend, there's been a lot of research on this in recent times, Professor David Begg has led some great reports in very recent on congestion and infection in the bus industry. But every year, really now for the last 10, 20 years, bus speeds have got worse by, as an average across the UK, by one, one and a half percent. What is it now, do you Cumulatively, know? it's just getting worse and worse and worse. Now, there's some great schemes and priority schemes to, to change that, and Bristol is one on some of the routes that have invested huge sums of money, which is helping us. Like um, bus-only lanes? Yeah, 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 priority. yeah, guided busways and so forth. Mm-hmm. But 
universally this is, we are still slowing down and congestion is our biggest problem because it makes the product unattractive. People don't want to pay to sit on a bus, sometimes quicker to walk. They want the flexibility. The problem with the bus, A, because of the other vehicle, because of the way we're regulated, we can't suddenly you know, divert off and find a new route. We have to go where we say we're going and we just lose buses you know, in, in congestion and gives unreliability, variability, unreliability of journey time. And you know, the classic example I use you know, is, is you know, four days out of five, a customer's journey takes 25 minutes, but normally one day a week and it's a random day, something will go wrong and it'll take 40 to 45. So they normally will have to allow 40 to 45 minutes for that journey. So they see the bus taking 45 minutes, although sometimes it doesn't, whereas they know in a car or on a bicycle, they are more likely to be able to do it in 20 because they can divert around together. So it makes us uncompetitive in the marketplace for travel. So congestion is a big piece, but a lot is going on. It is now recognised in a way that it hasn't been before. In the UK here, I know across you know, in, in, in North America and elsewhere, huge focus on clean air, low emission zones, and they're coming down to the UK rapidly. And all our major cities, in the UK, London included, although we don't operate there, are now fast addressing these and introducing low emission zones. But uh, an authority running a city will never crack clean air if they don't crack congestion. Mm. So otherwise you've just got vehicles however clean just sitting there and smoking away. And bus is the only solution that can be delivered big style in any city in the timescales that are being demanded, rightly demanded by the authorities but actually by the populations to clean up cities. And so we are working across the piece in, with many, many of our cities through what we call partnership in working through, well actually and I'm going to use just an example I mentioned because you've been in Leeds and seen Dave Pearson. We operate in Leeds with the principal operator there in Leeds. We're talking with Dave, we're talking with the Judith Blake as the council leader there. Um, how can we support Leeds to deliver their low emission zones which start moving into being in early 2021, 20, so not long now. And we work together. We have a vision to double the bus passengers in Leeds over seven years. It's growing now. Leeds are prepared to invest with central government's money in part of central government, um, something like £117 million on improving the buscape in Leeds, doing the work I've just described in putting priorities in and enabling us to speed up bus journeys, um, improving our access into, through and out of city centres, which is often what goes wrong, improving the cityscape, facilities for passengers, um, additional park and ride sites, which are great, moving people onto onto buses and moving them away fast to centres. You know, bus is the most efficient space, user of road space, and road space is limited. So Leeds have absolutely got this, as have a, a lot of our other cities we work with. I'm just using Leeds as an example. In return of that investment from Leeds, we committed to having an entirely Euro 6 compliant fleet by the LEZ. So we are replacing 284 of our 400 buses in Leeds in a three-year period. We're about 18 months into three years now. And by June, we'll have replaced over 60% of that fleet, 65% of that fleet, so that we can be entirely Euro 6, and the balance are either already Euro 6 vehicles or vehicles that we can, Euro 5, which we can we can equip, um, we can convert to Euro 6 emission standards. So that leads are going to get a brand new bus fleet. We're going to have a much improved experience for the customer, which will generate more passengers, because they're going to have more allowable, faster journey times. We have committed that for every bus that we save through improved journey times, i.e. productivity, we will invest that bus back 
into the service to improve the frequency, increase the frequency. So there's a win-win situation, which itself will generate more passengers. So that Leeds can go ahead with a LEZ without risk to the city, because people will be able to access Leeds. They're not going to be anti-car, but bus is going to have priority. And we're working very closely with the city there in working through all the highway schemes, agreeing them, verifying them, and, and working with them as they are delivered to ensure that the benefits are there. So there is real light for the bus in my 47 years in the industry. I've never been so optimistic about the future because for the urban scenario here in the UK at least, which has got true everywhere, the bus is a solution that will deliver what is currently being demanded and will be legislated for in terms of clean air. Yes, cities want light rail, some have them, and they want other schemes, but they may get them, but they will take years and years and years and years and years to deliver. And there isn't time if they're not going to become non-compliant. So, you know, we are very excited as a business in talking with, you know, I could mention so many of our authorities in really helping them solve their problems, serving our communities, giving our customers a better service and having a larger, stronger, more robust business model as a result. You're a real partner with your... Oh, yeah, we're partner. And some of these partnerships are informal. Um, others are, are legally drawn up. We're totally relaxed about that. We, we work on trust that we just want to get on with it. And in Leeds, that's exactly what we started doing. As soon as I shaken hands with the council leader, um, we started ordering buses. That's great. Uh, no question. What do you see? Uh, you said you're the, are you the biggest operator overall in, in, in the UK? No, we're outside London. We're the second largest operator. Stagecoach is the, is okay. the largest. Okay. Um, we've got, I think it's about 19% of the market share, but that's not spread evenly. We operate yeah. extensively in some areas. We're not in others. Okay. Just, you know, the way of the geography. What's the future for First Transit, both in this market and worldwide? Um, well, for first, in the UK, and I think it's really just back to what I've been saying, like, there's a huge opportunity through Clean Air to really develop our businesses, to grow our businesses. Okay. In Bristol now, and listen before Clean Air, we're running 75, 80 buses, 90 buses more than we were you know, four years ago. That's great. We've got plans for you know, another 150 over the next three years to, to meet the demand. We know who's there, working in partnership with the mayor, delivering the roads. Um, for us, which is, is great. Leeds, we'll see both fleets. So we see our, our core business growing in a way that the industry hasn't seen you know, since really pre-war, when, or obviously post-war, when, when, um, you know, when the economy sort of kicked back in after, after the war. So very, very exciting. We look out for acquisitions, but we're very much looking at innovation as well, using technology again, and demand responsive, see how we can make the bus model even more attractive, connecting services, last mile, first mile pieces yes. on the journey, first mile, last mile, all that sort of stuff and using technology. Yeah. And we're, we're, as with others, are really looking at this now. And uh, we've had some trials, we've got many more now planned around our piece, small scale, to understand what the technology can do and how customers and potential customers react to it. Now, what does it need to persuade somebody to use a bus who is not currently naturally inclined to do so? Anything with autonomous vehicles here? We are involved in an auto, we will be involved in an autonomous vehicle pilot in Didcot, west of London, on the Milton um, Business Park and Business Park. There, we're working with manufacturers and a number of agencies there, and we hope to bring autonomous vehicles there next year. We want to learn. I know my colleagues in the US do first transit. Yes, but I've got a number of experiments. Um, I think US is a little bit ahead of the UK in this. And of course, there have been a number of regulatory issues and so forth sorted out as well. It's, it's quite complex, but we want to be the forefront. Not that we see autonomous vehicles replacing our drivers in what we do today, but we want to see you know, 
product we want to understand it, see how it can contribute to meeting right. people and to help develop our, our core business. Yeah, well, like you were talking about, first and last mile, mm. corporate campuses, colleges, exactly. there's, a, yes. there's a role for them, I there's think. There's a role, absolutely yeah. role. I mean, I mean, that is one of the issues. I mean, hospitals, often university right. campuses and so forth, exactly. we cannot, business parks in some cases, we cannot penetrate yes. because the road network just doesn't allow. Exactly, so, the big buses can't Yeah, it's great, yeah. you can run a 10 minute service yeah. from the town centre taking, say, 15 minutes, but sometimes they've got a 20 minute walk. Terms Park. So we really want to understand this and be at the forefront of it here in the UK. Well, it's very exciting that your company is playing such an integral role in improving ridership. Mm. I mean, that's a worldwide phenomenon in a lot of our developed countries is that, you know, the Ubers and Lyfts of the world and like you said, the... uh, some of the urbanization has, mm. has people don't go out as much, et cetera. And so the fact that you're working closely with your partner agencies who you're not really getting any money from necessarily. I mean, you're just there no, no, to I mean, improve service. What we do is, is commercial. I mean, yeah. we, get, we, we are beneficiaries of yeah. investment because sure, of the yeah. road network. Right. But we receive, we do not receive direct no. subsidies. No, no, it is our commercial model. The only exception just to sort of complete the jigsaw here, um, any local authority may determine that a bus service is required, but no operator, ourselves or others in the area, are prepared to run it at their own risk. Yes. Um, and then they may put that service out to tender and provide some subsidy. And about 7 or 8% of our m- the mileage we operate does receive that form of subsidy. Right. But the far majority is, yeah. is, market is commercially huh? market-driven. That's amazing. And I've talked all today about urban service. That's principally what we do, not exclusively. We do some rural work, and that is can be more challenging. Um, yes. Because, you know, the ridership is lower. Yeah. Journey lengths are longer and making the econ- economics work. But we, you know, we are keen on this. We work with local authorities to, to make sure the communities are not isolated unless, you know, there really is no, no solution and to find ways where we can, we can, we can develop what we do commercially to serve other areas. But it, it sometimes can be quite tricky. Yeah. Well, this has been great. I think we have a lot we can learn from how you operate here in the UK over there in North America. So thank you for spending some time with us today, Giles Fernley. You're a great ambassador and evangelist for transportation yourself. <laughs> thank you, it's a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to Transit Unplugged, powered by Trapeze Group. To stay up to date, subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, or join the conversation at transitunplugged.com. Thanks for listening.